super excited about, as Peter said, jumping into our, our five-week journey. For, if you're new to Grace, welcome to Grace. We are so glad that you're here. We'd love the chance to get to meet you. Uh, if you did not get connected to our amazing uh, our hosts, uh, we have a special gift for you. Um, but also, when we talk about journey, that's not just something for people that are already a part of Grace. This is a great opportunity to engage, connect with family, friends, neighbors, but it's a five-week uh, experience that we will go through as a church. As Peter said, it's every age, from our littles all the way to our senior adults. For five weeks, we stop everything at the church and dive deep into uh, an area, a topic that we feel like God is really uh, pressing on us to lean into as a church family. And so with that, this year, uh, we really felt like what God was leading us into was this idea of rhythms. How do we live in alignment with God's life-giving rhythms? Uh, we realize that most of us, uh, or most of our world, is, is marked by uh, anxiety, exhaustion, this relentless pace of busyness. Uh, people just feel like it's like, I don't have enough time. Oh, we're changing mics. So, just pause for a second and just think about your life. When was the last time that somebody just said, hey man, how are you? And your immediate response was, busy. Anyone? Today, maybe? Right? I mean, we, ha we carry this constant sense of just being overwhelmed of life. But what if that's not the way that God designed us to live? What if that's not who God made you to be? Somebody that was always frazzled and frayed, just living at the, at the edge of exhaustion. What if there's more? And so we're going to take the next five weeks to just lean in to what does God have to say about this life we were created to live? So you're going to want your Bible this morning. If you have a Bible, you can go and open up to Genesis chapter 1. We're going to start right there in the beginning. We're going to look at how God made us. Might as well look at how God made us. And so Genesis chapter 1, if you need a Bible, you got people walking around uh, with Bibles, just slip up a hand. They'll put a Bible in your hand so you can follow along with us. But as you find your way there, I mean, we know it on a personal level, this sense of of uh, exhaustion or worry or anxiety or fear that, that can so easily overwhelm our lives. And even sometimes our spiritual lives can feel like this endless stream of activities and busyness where I'm just doing. And if I'm honest, there's times that I'm left to wonder, where is this abundant life that Jesus promised? John 10.10. 10. I have come that you might have life and have it to the fullness. Uh, that you might have life in abundance, flourishing life. And he sets that in John 10, 10 against this thief who's come to steal and kill and destroy. And, if I, and I look at so often the consequences of the kind of life I'm living. I, I'm more easily defined by a life that's stealing my joy, killing my hopes, and destroying my dreams. Anyone else? Now, there used to be a saying in, in the marketing world that, uh, that sex sells. In other words, if you want to get an advertisement and people to pay attention to it, you put you know, pretty people up on the screen selling anything from shampoo to cars to anything else. But now they're saying that isn't so true in our world today as much as, as they used to say sex sells. Now, rest sells. 
How many commercials do you see of a dad conked out in the backyard in a hammock? You're going to show that slide. Or a couple relaxing at the beach. Or a, or a, a quiet walk through the woods. And, and they're carrying this idea that, that out there, if you just get the right product, if you just buy the, the right thing or acquire the right stuff or get the right app on your phone, you can get a restful Praise Jesus, life. But what if? What if? There's a rest that you don't have to buy, earn, or acquire. What if the very thing that your soul is longing for is right in front of you and only needs to be received? So here's the good news. There is a different way. And as Jesus people, followers of Jesus, we are called to a different way. I mean, listen to Jesus' invitation. Matthew eleven twenty-eight to 30. Put it up on the screen there. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly, humble in heart, and you will find rest for your And my burden is light, for my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. I like the way Eugene Peterson translates this in, in the message. Let me put that up there. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. I mean, does that resonate in anyone else's heart? This invitation of Jesus to come alongside of him for the life that we were created. I mean, that's what it means to be a Christian. A Christ one is a follower, an apprentice of Jesus, meaning we are learning to walk in the ways of Jesus, who lived in perfect alignment with God's design, in perfect alignment with God's heart. And, and so let's look at that. Let's go back to the beginning and see what is God's original rhythm of life. We see from the very beginning of time, God hardwired into creation these natural rhythms of life, that he wove rhythm into the very fabric of creation. Now, this isn't hard to see, right? I mean, I'm not show, telling you anything that you don't already know. I mean, we, we see the sun that rises and sets. We see tides that ebb and flow. We see seasons that change, lungs that breathe in and out, a heart that beats. And in fact, we know that if any of those things were to all of a sudden come out of alignment, it would be really bad. If all of a sudden your heart stops beating, with a regular rhythm that's called an arrhythmia, and you don't want that. 
If the tides all of a sudden shifted into their rhythms, it would be a massive disaster. We know this just by observing the world in which we find ourselves. But what do we see in Genesis 1? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He is the creator. Therefore, he knows best how life is meant to be lived. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. This is this picture of the presence of God hovering over this formless chaos. And what does God do over this formless chaos of darkness? He speaks words of life. And I wonder if that's just good news for someone in here right now. That over the formless chaos of darkness, God speaks words of life. Over your formless, chaotic darkness, even this morning, God speaks words of life. It says that, that he spoke, let there be light. And in fact, there was light. And God saw that the light was good. God says, continues, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters. Let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse that separated the waters above from the waters that were uh, below. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. And so we see not just as God speaking words of light and life, but God creates boundaries and form. And inside of those boundaries, he places life designed to flourish. Now, when we try to live outside of God's boundaries, we don't actually find more life, do we? We find ourselves exhausted, depleted. We say things like, I just don't have any margin. I'm on edge. I have nothing left. I'm overextended. We carry this lie, though, that God has placed these boundaries into the world to hem us in, to keep something from us. That's actually the original lie, the original sin, right? But God's boundaries were actually created that we might flourish into all that he made us to be and all that he created us to do with him. Skip on down to verse 14. And I think we have that on the screen. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night and let them be for signs and for seasons, for days and for years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And so began the daily rhythm of night and day, the yearly rhythm of seasons. He sets the planets and the stars into orbit and rotations and revolutions. He sets the cosmos into motion. And with mathematical precision, you can know the alignment of the heavens from thousands of years ago to thousands of years from now. He set the world into this rhythm of the cosmos all the way down into this rhythm of everyday life, into the seasons that change. And then into this good, beautiful world of flourishing life and healthy rhythms and protective boundaries, God places the man and the woman and gives them this identity and a role. 
They're to be an image bearer of God that are to reflect the character and the goodness, the voice of God, to co-rule with him over his kingdom. He created them to be human beings, not just human doings. And at the end of God's creation account, these six days in which he creates the forms and the boundaries, sets the rhythms and places life to flourish alongside of him at his word. Skip to the beginning of chapter 2. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work, all that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all the work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Which is an interesting thought, because God, being all-powerful, isn't actually tired at the end of six days. Yet we see him bringing in to this healthy rhythm and these protective boundaries, this day of rest that he blessed and made holy. He carries this idea that his presence dwelled. It wasn't just his word that spoke a blessing over creation. It was his presence that gave blessing to creation. He intended to be fully immersed in this world that he had made. Now, it's also interesting that when God, uh, God's work of creation, and then he creates a day of rest, the seventh day. If you look at it from God's perspective, he ends his work with this day of rest, this day of presence, this day of blessing. But from mankind's perspective, created on day six, having given this job description to have dominion over the earth, to be fruitful and multiply, they didn't just jump into the work God had created, did they? What would have been the very first thing Adam and Eve did? Rest. In other words, God created mankind to, to, to work from their rest, not to rest from their work. To enter into the world having experienced this space of presence and blessing with God in this regular rhythm of life. Chapter 2 zooms in on the creation of man. In verse 7, the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. This idea of, of breath. You realize 22,000 times a day, without even thinking about it, you breathe in and out the very air of God. Your existence is dependent upon this regular rhythm that God set into motion when he first breathed that first breath into the lungs of Adam to sustain him, to hold him together. That intimacy of God's breath. And every moment, even just now pause, and just take a deep breath in. the awareness of God God intended and designed was to be as near and as close and as con constant as the very breath in our lungs 
it continues. We're getting these cosmic rhythms down to seasons and weeks and days into the intimacy of breath that beats, that, that breathes 22,000 times a day. And then at verse 19, out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field, every bird of the heavens, brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever he called them, that was its name. But for Adam, there wasn't a helper, a helpmate, a companion that was fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up the place with flesh, healed him from this, uh, this act. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. A pretty familiar passage. But I think sometimes we miss the significance of what God is saying here. That out of, the, out of one of the strongest bones in Adam's body, he creates this companion. The bone that's closest to his heart. It actually encloses his heart in a protective hold. The intimacy of two hearts beating together as one. And if as regularly as we breathe in the air of God, our heart that beats with a regular intimacy designed for us to live with Him and with one another. I mean, you get it? Just the first two chapters of the Bible, this beautiful picture of alignment and connection of hearts that beat together, lungs that breathe the very air of God in a world of healthy rhythm and flourishing life and protective boundaries. I mean, that's the first two pages of the Bible. I mean, does this describe our life, your life? This breathing in and out, the air of God, the awareness of his presence, his life-giving presence. Hearts that beat in alignment with his and in intimacy with one another. In tune with the seasons that change, the rhythms of day and night, rest and work. Fruitful labor from a place of restoration and celebration. This rooted presence and calling with God and his creation. And as we hold out this incredible picture that your souls long for because they were made for, it doesn't take long for us to see that many of us are living with the consequences of life out of alignment with God's design. John Mark Comer wrote a book called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. And in it, he, he, he says that there's an illness that affects more of us than we even realize. He calls it hurry sickness. He gets that idea from a mentor of his, John Ortberg, that met with a mentor of his, Dallas Willard. And uh, Dallas Willard is this great modern-day saint, and, uh, and, he was, and, and Ortberg was asking Willard, what is the key... To, to living a vibrant, a healthy spiritual life. And said, the story goes that Willard paused and said, you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. Orberg tells a story and says that he quickly wrote that down, and he said, okay, that's great, now what else? 
Willard paused. He said, that's it. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. That hurry is the great enemy of our spiritual life with Christ. And we see that. That hurry is not compatible with love, with presence, with peace, with joy, with hope. I mean, think about the last time that you were in a hurry. Those of you that have young kids, trying to get kids out the door, and your interaction with them, would you have said that that was defined by peace, kindness, and love, and joy? For the love of God, just get your shoes on. Right? Is there any time that you were late and you show up for a date with your boyfriend or girlfriend? Is, is the posture of your heart when you come rushing in the restaurant doors to be like, oh, I'm so glad to see you, praise the Lord. Or is it, oh my gosh, you're not going to believe the traffic was incredible and then my boss called and I got this text. We, we, we know this, right? And so, so he gives these, uh, these 10 symptoms of hurry sickness. Want to put those on the first one on the screen there? Irritability. Get mad, frustrated, or just annoyed way too easily. Number two, symptom of hurry sickness. Hypersensitivity. Anyone? Minor things escalate quickly. The response is not proportionate to the stimulus. The person uh, cuts you off in traffic and you act like he just cut off your leg. Number three, restlessness. When you actually do try to slow down, you get that day off and you just can't relax. You can't rest. That constant just... Number four, workaholism or just nonstop activity. You don't know when to stop or even worse, you just can't. You're always on checking email or, or your socials or whatever it is. Just making sure that you're not missing something, always running an errand, always completing a task. Number five, emotional numbness. You just don't have the capacity to feel what somebody else is feeling, somebody else's pain or struggle. Or even your own pain or struggle. It's easier just to numb than to actually process what's going on in here. Number six, out of order priorities. That you feel disconnected from who you were made to be, what you were called to do. Always getting sucked into the, the tyranny of the urgent. Reactive to what's happening right in front of you instead of proactively determining what your life is going to look like, what your day is going to look like. Number seven, lack of care for your body. You don't have time for the basics. Brushing your teeth. Just kidding. Hopefully you are still brushing your teeth. But exercise, eating healthy, or is it just running and gunning and going? Number eight, escapist behaviors. We're too tired to do what actually matters, and so we just fill our lives with distractions, overeating, overdrinking, binge-watching Netflix. We find ourselves stuck 
in this endless cycle. Number nine, the slippage of spiritual disciplines. The things that we say actually matter that will feed our soul, kind of get pushed to the side. And then number 10, isolation. That you feel disconnected from God, from others, and even from your own soul. So just real fast, do the math. How many of those would you say are true for you? Being honest, when I first read this book and came across this hurry sickness test, I was shocked at how many of them defined my life. This was about two years ago, and those of you that I've had the privilege of, of walking with in discipleship know this journey uh, that I've been on, this two-year journey of trying to live a different way of life, but the majority of my Christian life, the majority of my pastoring life even, has been one more defined by this than, than that invitation of Jesus to come and find rest for your souls. So I say this from not a position of, of having figured it out, but as a, a fellow journeyer trying to figure this thing out. And so just a, a quick illustration as to how many of us tend to live our lives is that we, uh, we find ourselves saying this is our life and we all have the exact same amount of time. So we tend to fill our lives with things that if we were honest, at the end of our lives, we wouldn't say that that really matters. It just fills our time. Busyness and, and activity and, and mindless, numbing entertainment and just all the things that we fill our lives with that we would say if we're really honest, it doesn't always matter, but it takes the majority of our time. And if you've ever done Dave Ramsey, you know that the first thing he says to getting financially healthy is you've got to take account. And most of us don't even know where our money goes. We just know that we don't have any of it. And he's like, how many of us even know how we spend before we can even begin to get on track to, to live financially healthy? Well, the same applies to our time. How many of us actually know how much time we're spending on the stuff that we would say, this doesn't really even matter. You cut this out, it's no loss to me. This isn't adding to my life to my relationships, to my soul, but it fills our time. But then there's these things that we say, they really matter. And so we try to, we fit it in. And, you know, there, there's our relationships that we'd say we want to make time to, to date our spouse or to, to spend time with our friends and to focus on our children. We talk about our, our mental health and, and wanting to spend time With, our, with physical health and working out and getting healthy. With our spiritual activities and spiritual disciplines and we, all these things that we want to say, yeah, if we, I just don't have time to do the things that matter. But then at the end, Jesus says there's really only one thing that matters the most. Matthew 6, 33, right in the middle of him talking about not worrying, he makes this powerful statement. He says, seek first the kingdom of God, and all of these other things will be added to you. And we pause, and we think about 
when am I, when can I, how do I have time to actually add into this life time intentionally spent in the presence of God? It doesn't fit. But the invitation of God is to say, instead of trying to cram me into what's left over, start with me. And then intentionally begin to live a life where you prioritize the things that you say matter as you learn from me and walk with me. As you learn what it means to to find rest for your souls, to, to make space for the relationships that matter, to be the kind of person that lives a life of depth and impact, of serving of making a positive difference in this world of vocation and calling and career, all the things that we say we would prioritize, the kind of person that we want to be. And so we place into our life the things that matter centered around that presence of God, that abiding life with Christ. And then again, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added, and then all this other stuff that we tend to fill our lives with. Finds its place in relation to the stuff that matters. Which way are you living? Think about last week. This isn't about guilt and shame condemnation It's an invitation to more, to a better way. John 15, coming back to Jesus' invitation, Jesus says, I am the true vine. My father, the vine dresser, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Every branch that is bearing fruit, he prunes that it might bear even more fruitful. You are designed to live a fruitful life of abundance with God. Already you are clean because of this word that I've spoken to you. Then hear this, abide, make your home in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides, makes its home in the vine, neither can you unless you abide, make your home in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him He it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me, you can do nothing. So the invitation over the next five weeks is to begin to learn together, or to take a step forward in learning together, how to realign our lives around God's life-giving rhythms. Now the journey, as we talked about, is these three parts— Five weeks, five weeks long, starting to be the, this, the Sunday teaching that's kind of setting the stage for really what matters is this conversation that we encourage you to have in small groups, in these journey groups. As Peter mentioned, uh, we encourage every one of you, even if this is your first time at Grace, a great opportunity to get connected is to join uh, with an, a, an ongoing journey group. Or you might say, hey, you know what? I love this. I want to dig in. Uh, We've got a couple friends or neighbors down the street uh, or some other families that we're just going to do this with. 
And so if that's you, if you want to just host one for yourself or for a small community, all we're asking that you just let us know because we have some resources to give you. We have a host guide that will help guide that conversation step by step. We're doing a Wednesday night call for anyone that's hosting uh, just to kind of preview and give some tips and, uh, of how to, to really make the most of this time together. So if you want to host a group that you're not in, please let us know. Uh, but we encourage everyone to get in the group, that really that conversation. It's also why your kids, are, if you have littles, um, are right now getting their own journey guide, like what you got handed in, but in, uh, in kid form. And so uh, that'll be fun with family activities to do that are geared around each of these weeks as well. Like I said, the whole five weeks is about coming together around this critical idea of these rhythms of grace. But then really, we say the meat and potatoes, what really matters about the journey isn't just simply learning about it or even talking about it. It's actually doing it. And so every week is going to be a practice that's given, uh, something, a, a way of leaning in to these life-giving rhythms of God. For some of you, this is old hat. You've been, some of these practices that we're going to talk about, you have been doing for years, if not decades. And all the invitation for you is, what would it look like to take that a step further with God? To go a little bit deeper with God? Because none of us have ever dove to the depths of God's infinite goodness and power and grace, have we? There's always more. But if this is brand new to you, all we're saying is just take the next step, whatever that looks like. And so for this week, the practice for this week is to lean into that first rhythm that God created, this, one, of those, one of those first rhythms God created, this day and night, this breath that, lead, that, that breathes in the presence of God, in tune with this daily rhythm. And so, we encourage you to establish this daily rhythm of time with God. So hopefully on your way in, going to pull this out. You got this uh, Rhythms of Grace. This is a, a journey. This is your journey guide. So make sure you put your name in it because they all look the same. But this will, will walk you through for the next five weeks. And you'll see, if you flip it forward, uh, that each week there's, like a, there's a page that if you want to take notes from the teaching, you can do that. Um, and then it begins to get into the practice for that week. And we'll just go on and, and go to some of these tips. If you need a guide, uh, we got some. Just slip up a hand and while people walk around, make sure that you get one. Um, is, uh, is, first, as I already said, is, is to start small. Start where you are. If for you, you've never created time or uh, like built into your schedule time to just be alone with God, then man, five minutes a day is a win. All we're doing is, that, is asking that you try. The reason they're called spiritual practices is because you're not meant to be perfect. Just do the next thing. Even five minutes a day would be a win at the beginning and at the end of your day. Number two, think subtraction, not addition. Don't try to add this to an already overly busy, too full life. For the next five weeks, be thinking about what is what can I back away from? What can I say no to? 
Maybe that's going to bed 15 minutes earlier and not checking your phone right before you go to bed, but instead picking up your journal and just spending a few minutes there quiet with God before you fall asleep. Could that possibly be healthier and more life-giving than seeing what CNN, Fox News, TikTok, uh, Instagram have to say? And then maybe in the morning, it's just not watching one more episode of whatever your favorite Netflix series is. And go to bed just a few minutes earlier so you can wake up 15 minutes earlier. As I'm saying, don't add to, figure out what you can take away to add in what really matters. What will actually give you what your soul craves. Three, you get out of this what you put into it. Number four, the J curve. So experts on adult learning tell us that when we're setting out to, to create a new habit or to master a new skill, our learning actually comes more like a J. It, we start here, but then we actually, it feels like we dip. We, we get clumsy. We struggle. We realize we don't know as much as we thought we knew. Uh, and uh, we become aware of our own incompetence. And so we actually feel like we're dipping down into our, into our potential, our ability, before we actually grow into this new area of habit or life. And then five, there's no formation without repetition. What you'll discover as we go through this journey is it's called habit stacking. What we're learning in this first week, we will actually carry through all five weeks. This daily practice isn't just meant to be a daily practice you do for a week. It's not even meant to be a daily practice you do for five weeks. We're trying to, to learn together as a community what it means to live these practices as a way of life. And so on top of this practice, next week we'll add in something else as we talk about silence. And the next week we'll add in a weekly rhythm of Sabbath. And the next week we'll add in a monthly rhythm of solitude. So we're going to just hold on itself these rhythms as we bring our hearts and our lives and relationships into alignment with God's created design. And the last thing I'll show you about this journal is if you go to uh, this next page right here, this is a daily journal, and you don't have to use this. If you already have a journaling practice, a scripture practice, and prayer, man, just keep it up. Just figure out. If you, are, if you spend 15 minutes alone with God in the morning, what would it look like to spend 20 minutes alone with God in the morning? If you spend time with God in the morning, but you don't think about it before you go to bed, what does it look like to build that in right before you fall asleep? We're asking you just to take the next step. But as a great tool uh, in this journal— in the morning, we encourage you in this process of, uh, this, these are Celtic practices, um, the ancient uh, kind of monastic tradition of uh, cave road, table fire. The cave is that quiet, alone place with God. And uh, in that, uh, reflecting on his word and how it applies into our life. At the end of the journal, you'll see uh, recommended scriptures for each day. Again, you can use what we recommend. We but if you're already in or read the Bible in a year plan or doing something on your own, stick with what you're already doing. It's totally cool. Um, we just wanted to give you some tools. The road is about the people that you'll meet as you go throughout the day. And so it's just bringing in the morning before you begin your day, bringing to mind what's in front of you for the day and then asking God to speak into it. God, I have these meetings. I'm pretty nervous about this one. I'm excited about this one. What do you want me to know? Who can I be praying for? God, what might you have in store for me today? The table and the fire at the end of the day is just reflecting back on the table. 
Who are the people you interacted with this, today? What, God, what might God want you to know about that? How can you be praying for them? Is there anything that you need to release in forgiveness or receive from God? And then the fire is, I imagine, at the end of a day, sitting around the campfire with, with Jesus and just reflecting. God, how was today? I mean, it could be five minutes. It could be an hour. But just jot down two words. Just do something to create space in your life in this breathing in, breathing out rhythm of waking and sleeping as we begin to learn together in community what it means to live in alignment with God's life-giving rhythms. And so I want to pray for us as we begin this journey together. We're going to worship and respond. As we do each week, we uh, create space to remember the sacrifice of Jesus that makes a way for us to live back in alignment with who God made us to be and how God intended us to live. That restores us to relationship as we take communion Remembering Jesus, the night he was betrayed, took this bread of the Passover and broke it, saying, this is my body given for you. Take, eat, and every time you do this, do this in remembrance of me. The very substance of God, the bread of life available for us. And then Jesus took that cup and he said, this cup is my blood shed for the forgiveness of sins. Take, drink, and every time you do this, do this in remembrance of me the blood of a new covenant, new oneness with God. As we take communion, even as we take communion today, maybe for the first time seeing it in a fresh light, it's an invitation to step into the reality, the rhythms, the presence of God with us and for us by the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Can you receive from God the very thing your soul most craves? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. God, we thank you that from the very beginning, you created a world for us to live in intimacy, oneness with you, intimacy and vulnerability with one another, lives of purpose and depth within your boundaries, in line with your rhythms, being restored in relationship. And God, we know that our sin, our, our failures, that we have lived far from that and tried to create our own lives, tried to create our own rhythms, tried to make meaning for ourselves, and it doesn't work. We know it doesn't work. And so Lord, even right now, for those of us who just need to repent and just say, God, I've lived too much of my life apart from you. To receive your forgiveness and your grace, that you meet us right where we are, Lord. And Lord, that you'd restore us, that you'd pick us up as a beloved child. Help us learn to walk with you. God, even if that's like a, a toddler stumbling, help us just to learn to walk daily with you. We pray all of these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.